already had a sermon, huh? We must go. I think we need to sing that one on the way out this morning and, and sprint right out the door. Hallelujah. It's good to see you this morning. Are you doing okay? Some are, some aren't. That's why you're in church. We're going to help you out. Uh, so that we're all walking out of here and, and uh, praising God. Quite a week. Uh, I just got back from the National Outreach Convention where Pastor Eddie and Joyce and myself went. And uh, so I'm kind of fired up. I'd like to stay till about six tonight and just to share everything with you. We can keep singing and worshiping. But we're not going to because my wife has some plans and you're signed up, right? You're going to help out this afternoon. Um, just a few days ago, we learned that uh, one of our American Baptist missionaries could be with us this morning. And so I had a real dilemma because we're wrapping up 40 days of community this week and next. And uh, we've got the themes to preach on. And so I said, well... Uh, we can't just let Charles come and preach, although I'd love to, but we want to spend some time with him. So Charles met with our Sunday school and shared some of his ministry. And Charles, why don't you come on up? And I'd like to introduce Charles Westview. He's one of our American Baptist missionaries. I'm not going to say much about him because I'm going to do one of my interviews. So let me, uh, you can hold that. And uh, first question, Charles, I just want folks to get to know you a little bit as uh, who you are, where you're from. So where were you born? Uh, actually, I was born here in the States, Philadelphia, PA. Philadelphia. In Philadelphia? You need to leave both the mics on, thanks. Did you grow up in Philadelphia? Yes, uh, elementary school, uh, high school, when they were the Connemac Stadium at Dobbins oh, yeah. Tech. And, uh, yeah. So I'd like to take you back to when you were a boy of about 10 or 12 years old, growing up in Philadelphia. What did you do for fun? And remember, we're in church, so. Uh, Actually, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, I was a Cub Scout, and then a Boy Scout, and then we didn't get enough, so we opened an explorer's post, and wow. I went on to become an Eagle Scout. So wow! I, I Congratulations. That's a. Uh, I was a Girl Scout, but uh, anyhow, that's another story. I got interested. <laughs> yeah, you got. You went on to that. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So you grew up in Philadelphia, and uh, then uh, I know you didn't start out in life to be a missionary. Uh, you started out. What did you feel called to do, or what did you start as a career? Uh, Career-wise, my undergrad degree is math and physics, and I, I worked about 15 years as an exploration geophysicist. Uh-huh. Geology, physics, seismic, gravity, talking people into drilling oil wells for major oil companies. Wow. Yeah. And then something happened. You're not drilling oil wells or in physics anymore. You're, Amen. Uh, uh, what happened? I finally stopped running from what I've understood as a call of my life by God, uh, to the ministry of Jesus Christ. I stopped teaching uncomprehendable formulae and believed that I should tell a dying world about a living Savior. Wow. We've got folks that work at JPL out here, scientists and engineers and all kinds of folks, attorneys and otherwise. You think actually in midlife they could just quit what they're doing and serve God in a different way? As With a... Christ, all things are possible. Yeah. Amen. So you stopped that and went to seminary? At Forty years old, the tender age of forty, yeah. I uh, ended up starting a master's of divinity degree wow. yeah, in seminary school now, again. Tell us a bit about your wife. Uh, I know she's oh. Sarah's not with you, but uh... yeah, my wife Sarah, who, who you've met, mm -hmm. you, you've been to South Africa yeah. and met us in ministry there. My wife Sarah is uh, a business finance graduate kind of person. Uh, uh, what you see is what you get. She's a wonderful person, uh, one of the type who drives you and keeps your life straight. Uh, she's a wonderful gift. She's the type that uh, says jump, and you don't uh, ask how high. You ask, when may I come down? 
Well. Good. We have three young children who grew up on the field with us. Mm-hmm. We took them as six-year-old, four-year-old, and three-year-old. They are now 17, 15, and 14. Mm. So they're teaching us how to be uh, good parents. Yeah. yeah. She's uh, there in Lusaka yeah. with good. the three children. You serve in Zambia right now. You were in South Africa. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I, can you pretend? Okay. I like to ask a, a question. Just This is a fantasy pretend kind of thing. You okay with that? I'm okay. Okay. Uh, I know it's far out, but pretend that uh, First Baptist Church gave to you a platinum card. Not a cheap gold card, but a platinum card. Wow. And uh, International Ministries said, Charles, you and your family, for six months, you don't have to show up in Zambia. You don't have any responsibilities. It's like a six-month sabbatical. You've got the platinum card. You know you don't have to pay it off. What would you do? Not having to report anywhere, I, I, I believe that we would go work on this rural village <laughs> orphanage that we're trying to start. <laughs> finish, the, finish the orphanage, huh? Yeah, our church members are out there digging in the mud, and uh, we'd kind of like to stand beside them with nowhere to go for a while and no other duties and okay. try and get that off the ground. And foundations yeah. dug and lay some stones and that kind of thing. It just... Play in the dirt. <laughs> Play in the dirt, okay. And share with us a little bit about your ministry, just what the Lord's given you to say to us this morning, if you would, Charles. It's great to have you here. By your support, by the support of this church and the tremendous support through World Mission Offering and other mission work that this church is doing, we're able to be on the field. We involve, we're involved with uh, street children, putting street children back in the school, buying uniforms and shoes and a toothbrush and you know, the things necessary for them to go and yeah. taking them off the streets. We're involved with HIV, AIDS, infected and affected families. My wife has a ministry with women in particular who were formerly in the sex trade and they repent and they give their life to Christ. We baptize them, dedicate their babies, and uh, we're mentoring pastors in rural villages and in crowded, poor compounds with no running water and electricity. Uh, and this empowerment project, the Elisha project, where we try to buy ground corn and salt and sugar, and the women repackage it, and then they sell it in little packets, and that's how they raise funds to feed their babies and their children, and and it's a sustainability micro-loan kind of project. Uh, And then this village, rural village orphanage, where we're trying to move a hundred and something orphans out of the crowded compound in the dust into an area where there's lease land granted by a chiefess there and uh, like I said the members are building firing up the stones pounding the clay mm-hmm. uh, and we hope to move a hundred and something orphans there and maybe build an elementary school plant some corn get some seeds plant some vegetables and pray about maybe some goats or something to provide meat and milk and we just opened a new seminary also oh, I'm teaching yeah. again uh, theology Old Testament and those yeah. things to some who have committed their life the pastor's have no training, 570 churches and no trained pastors. Mm. So we have very many ministries. We wear a lot of different hats. I know you do, and I read recently, we've been just collecting our world mission offering. By the way, we're almost there. You can look in your bulletin and see how far we are, but I've been motivated to give again to make that goal we have. But I was reading in a newsletter, I think, from you that uh, recently, I think you were preaching in some church or something, and a lot of people came forward, and I think the number was you baptized, or someone baptized 148 people in one service. Is that? Tell me a little bit about that. I... We were out in the bush. It's called Misasa. 
a bush conference. They cut down, whack down the grass. You know, people come on foot and come by bicycle, you know, walk 50 miles. I sleep in a tent and I preach when I'm lucky. I preach twice a day out in the bush. And this particular evening, I preached that morning and preached again that evening and invited them to come give their life to Christ. And hundreds came forward. Wow. We took all of the 15-year-old and younger, a couple of hundred of them, and sent them to the pastors in the villages to mentor them, to give them discipleship. And we said, until you understand what you're doing. And then we took the over 18-year-olds and we marched 148 folks hand in hand out into a muddy river and baptized them Wow! right there in the river the next morning. Yeah. It was just a wonderful wow. movement of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Amen. Let's give, let's give the Lord glory for that. Uh... Any one last uh, word that you'd give to us, a challenge, Charles? That uh... Just, if I might, that we understand there's hard, difficult times. Changing economic faces and values to our uh, retirement plans and to our savings and to our jobs and to gas prices. But I'm firmly convinced there's a scripture in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 about Elisha. And he asked this widow, what do you have to help yourself? And even in a poor Africa, we preach that message. Mm -hmm. But I'm convinced here, particularly in privileged America and in our privileged lives, that as long as there is need, God will supply. And that you've been set aside for every good work. So I ask you to be faithful. If I can challenge you to do anything, it's to be faithful in your living and in your giving. And that we might continue as this great church to send people, to support people, to do mission, loving ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Amen. Thank you very much. It is wonderful to have Charles with us today and uh, hope you'll take a moment to speak to him afterwards. I know you will. around the coffee table and uh, around the refreshments. In your worship folder is a 40-day of community outline. And we've been talking, we've been on a journey. And for those of you that are our guests and visiting with us, we started this back in September, and it's an emphasis on community. And we have a little saying that we've been repeating to ourselves that we are better together. In fact, let's say that. Would you say it with me? We are better together. One more time. We are better together. And we've talked about some of these themes here, about uh, reaching out together, belonging together, serving together. And we've been meeting in small groups, uh, 80 to 100 of us are meeting in small groups, studying different topics around the word uh, love one another, around the idea of community. And this morning I want to share with you a condensed version of of a longer sermon I would have shared with you, uh, but I think you'll get the main idea. And I want to challenge you today, as we live in community, uh, it's difficult. It's not easy. And that's why the New Testament has given us so many uh, instructions about forgiveness and about loving each other and about being patient with each other and being kind and all kinds of guidance. And this morning I want to come to just one word, and it is the word koinonia. Now, you know I don't very often mention Greek words in church, but you've heard that word if you've grown up in church. We have what we call the fellowship hall downstairs. We have meals there. We do Bible studies there. We've had prayer meetings there. You just hang out there, and most churches have a fellowship hall. The word koinonia means fellowship. Now, it means a lot of other things. 
And it's a, it's a word that's like a diamond. A diamond has many facets to it. It sparkles. And you can look at it and turn it, and you'll see different light coming through it. And the word koinonia is much like that. And I want to give you five, if you like to fill in the blanks, we're going to go through these fast. So you got your tennis shoes on, your pencil out. Um, my, my discipline today is not to comment on each one because these are rich, but just to give you an idea of this word koinonia, in the Bible, in Philippians chapter 2, it's translated community. And another place in Corinthians, it's translated participation, same word, koinonia. In another place, it's called contribution. And koinonia can have that idea. It means generosity and it means sharing. We'll leave these up here on the board so you can get them down. But uh, all of these are part of the rich nuance of this word koinonia. Now, as we live with one another in community, the value of that is it's much like if you go to a, a river or a stream where there are rocks and they've been turned over, or if you're on the uh, seashore and you pick up uh, what used to be a shell, and it's been rubbed smooth by the ocean and the waves and the sand. Or if you're in a stream, that rock is turned over and over, and you find a smooth stone. It didn't start out that way, but as aging and time, time went on, it became smooth by the friction caused in the sand or against other rocks. The rough edges were rubbed off. Now, that's very much like what God has in mind for us as God places us in a community, a church, in a koinonia, to rub off the rough edges and to become the person God really created us to become. And part of becoming that person is to become a generous person. And the seed I want to plant this morning is the question, are you living a generous life? And I want to challenge you, what does that mean to live a generous life? So I've got seven things I want to say this morning, and um, we'll pause on some, others we won't pause. But if you were living a generous life, these are some of the benefits that would come to you. And so the challenge this morning is, are you living a generous life? And I want to encourage you to think about that. First benefit, um, and, and part of my goal here this morning is to, is to somewhat tease you or attract you into living a generous lifestyle. To think, wow, that, that would be kind of a cool way to live, to live generously. So let's talk about that. By the way, I said we were at the National Outreach Convention, and uh, they have a comedy night. They have a uh, the guy that leads the thing is a commu- comedian and does a great job. His name is Adam, and uh, he shared with us. Do you know what happens when you cross a Jehovah Witness with an atheist? When you Noel's worried. Uh, when you cross a Jehovah Witness with an atheist, you get someone who knocks on the door for no apparent reason. Okay, I learned that one. Just wanted to share it. Uh, I'll be done now. I had another one, but uh, maybe later. Uh, anyhow, the benefits of living a generous life. Number one, it creates community. It creates community. Uh, I want to put this scripture up on the screen, and let's read it together. Uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said, Your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. And the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount said, Your heart will be wherever your treasure is. When you create a generous spirit, that comes out of the sense, it it develops a sense of community. Our desires are where our interests are. I can remember uh, a couple that was in our church in Granada Hills. And they were very involved in the church, had kids and did did a lot of things. And then uh, he came into some money and he bought a boat. And we saw less of the family. Then uh, he said, well, you know, I need a, an RV to pull my boat. And uh, when, when are you going to use that? If you work Monday through Friday, 
You have to go camping on the weekends, and pretty soon it was, you know, it was once a month, then twice a month, and then three times a month, and pretty soon their, their interest had shifted to boating and camping, because that's where their treasure was, and not from serving and worshiping the Lord. And when we uh, live a generous life, when we're serving the Lord, we're developing community. Number two, uh, to live a generous life defeats materialism. I like this one. It defeats materialism. Again, it's Jesus who said you can't love uh, or serve both God and money. You have to make a choice. When Joyce and I give our offering, and this morning I was, uh, as new Charles was coming this week, so I said, you know, we need to give to the World Mission Offering again. And so we're giving more. And when we give our tithes to the church, when we give gifts and offerings to World Mission Offering or to any organization, a part of what we're doing is breaking grips greed on our heart. Now, maybe you're not greedy, but I am. And most of us are. When we give... We stop being a taker, and our whole society is based around taking, getting, having more. Some of you I know were very excited. When the iPhone came out, you bought an iPhone, and you had the latest and greatest phone on the face of the earth. But what happened? They came out with another model, and it's twice as fast. And now, you're not up to speed anymore, are you? And so it goes in our culture. That's just the way it is. And if you're going to live a generous life, you're going to decide, I don't want to be a taker, I want to be a giver. I'm not in it for what I get, I'm in it for what I give. And living a generous life swims against our current culture of consumerism and helps us stop being materialistic and start giving. Uh, Robin has been talking to us about these buildings. Why are they here? How did they get here? They got here because people had big dreams, they prayed big prayers, and they gave big amounts of money, lots of money. When they finally paid off these buildings in the 40s, they gave over $70,000 at that time to the World Mission Offering just to say, God, hallelujah, the buildings are paid for and we want to give even more. That's uh, 60 years ago, that kind of money. A lot of money. Because they were generous. And so we are here worshiping in this fabulous facility because somebody else was living a generous life. And I guess the question that haunts me is, God, um, what, what big dreams are we supposed to be dreaming? What big things are we supposed to be doing? Because we stand on the shoulders of so many others who have lived generously. And there are lots of generous people in this congregation now. And we celebrate that. So number three, number two, it defeats uh, materialism. Number three, it strengthens my faith. It strengthens my faith. Living a generous life will strengthen your faith. Again, the words of Paul in the great passage in 2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. The more I invest in the things of God, the more I care about the things of God, the more my faith goes up. Sow a little seed, get a little plant. Uh, Joyce and I are terrible homeowners. In fact, we moved out of a condo into a home in Pasadena, and we said, you know, we couldn't find the condo we wanted. But part of our problem is we just don't like to do yard work. And so this summer, if you had driven by our house, there's a little bitty front yard, just sidewalk coming up the middle. There's a patch of dirt here and a patch of dirt here. It used to be grass, but it got neglected. And we've been scratching our head and said, well, could we plant cactus out there? What can we do that won't take much water? You know, how can we be more conservative? Well, a couple of weeks ago, 
the uh, gardener came by, and he's a minimalist gardener, and uh, he threw down a bunch of fertilizer, and then he put seed on it. And so now we have some winter grass growing. The thing looks fantastic. My mom should drive by. She keeps accusing me of, you know, about the yard. It's green now, Mom. You wouldn't believe it. But let's suppose for a moment he had put one seed over here in the dirt patch and one seed over here in the dirt patch, and out by the street, you know, between the sidewalk and the street, he'd put another seed on each side there. We would have had four, if we were fortunate, we would have had four blades of grass. Now, we would have had grass, right? That's really about all the grass I need, but uh, he didn't just plant four seeds. So he got grass in each dirt pit. What did he do? He scattered as many seeds down as he could. Why? So he'd get as much grass as he could. And that's the same principle that uh, when we sow generously, we reap generously. When we sow in a stingy fashion, we're going to reap that. And so as I sow generously, my faith is strengthened. What about number four? Uh, To live a generous life, one of the benefits is it's an investment in eternity. Um, I'm not even going to read the scriptures there. It it talks about your investing. Yeah, we've got to read the second one. Let's go to that long one in 1 Timothy. That is a great passage. It says, uh, tell the rich to use their money to do good. By the way, uh, if you're rich, would you raise your hand in this audience? Every one of you needs to put your hand up. If you don't think you're rich, come, if you come and talk to Charles. He can tell you about poor. Put your hand up. I asked anybody rich here? Come on. We all need to... We're, you're all... Everybody here is in the top 5% of the world's wealth. I'm not kidding you. Is that right, Charles? Easily in the top 5%. I don't care if you're working for minimum wage. You're rich compared to the world. Now, anyhow, so this scripture, I think, is to us. Tell the rich to use their money to do good. Uh, giving happily to those in need, always being ready to share, koinonia, with whatever they have been given from God. By doing this, uh, they will, and here's the part that's underlined. What does it say? They will be storing up real treasures for themselves in heaven. Now, you've heard the expression, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That comes out of Jesus' teaching, by the way. You never, as I put in here, you never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Do you realize that if you die, and if you're at the, if you're at the funeral home, and you're laid out, and maybe you, you know, the, the people who remain say, well, we want to put him in a suit, and maybe you don't own a suit, so the funeral director can sell you a suit, and you'll look great. Only thing is, those suits you buy at the mortuary don't have any pockets. Why would they? You don't need them. And so when you give, it's an investment in eternity. I was thinking about this this morning as I was praying over the message, and I was thinking, you know, we've got some very generous people at First Baptist. We have people around you. You may be seated seated right beside someone who has lived a generous life for decades and decades. And the reality is, think of the treasure they have when they get to heaven. Wow! Because there are folks in this room, uh, Mr. Chapman shared with you 40 years just in this church, And there are folks like him in this room that have been generously sowing and reaping and storing up treasures in heaven. They've got, I think they're rich in heaven. They're going to be a a great welcome to a lot of people in this room today because you've lived a generous life and you're a great example to all of us. So hallelujah. It's an investment in eternity. And uh, three last things. Uh, When you live a generous life, it blesses me in return. It blesses me in return. 
the scripture there about giving generously. Uh, it's interesting to think about this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you've accepted Jesus Christ. And if I said, are you going to heaven when you die? You'd say, yes. I'd say, have your sins been forgiven? You'd say, yes. I Well, how is that so? Because I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And we'd say, hallelujah. So you actually trust that God's going to do that. And you'd say, yes. And if I kept pushing you, you'd keep saying, yes, yes. I'm trusting God with my soul. I'm trusting God with eternity. I'm trusting God that I'm actually forgiven of all the rotten stuff I've done. Now, I think the majority of us in this room would say yes to all that. You actually trust God. Is that true? I don't see anybody actually agreeing with me here. Yeah, it is true, isn't it? Well, how is it we'll trust God with our soul, with the life after death, but we don't want to trust God with our money? We don't really believe God's going to take care of us, do we? And so we hang on. And we live these stingy lives rather than these generous lives trusting God. We were standing outside, and Tony and I, and someone walked up and said, Oh, look at that hummingbird. And there in those birds of paradise, there's a little hummingbird eating away. God's taking care of the hummingbird. And God says, I'm going to take care of you. You can trust me on that. And so I hope you're encouraged today to live a generous life and to trust God. Well, we've got a couple left. Uh, number six, it produces happiness. Living a generous life produces happiness. Uh, Carl Menninger, you hear it in class 101, I say it all the time. Carl Menninger, the famous psychiatrist from Menninger Clinic, say, talks about generosity, and he says generous people rarely have mental illness. It's just that simple. As you become a generous, giving person, it, it does create happiness. You're not giving just to get happy, but Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. It makes you happy. And so I want to encourage you to be generous. And then finally... Uh, it makes me more like God. It makes me more like God. The Bible says in John, we all live off of God's generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. And from Chronicles, everything we have comes from the Lord. Everything we have comes from the Lord. Now, as persons of faith in God, that's what we believe, that God gives us the very breath we have. My, my ability to stand here this morning comes from God. It's by His grace that I live and move and have my being. It's all God. So why wouldn't I be quick and generous to give back to the Lord? I read a story. Uh, Carol Dulabon, a friend of mine, sent me this story of a taxi driver who got a call to go to a, a poorer part of town. There was a quadruplex, I think four units of housing there. And he said most cabbies would just honk the horn, wait for the person to come out. But some some reason he felt like I should go to the door. So he went to the door and knocked, and he heard an older woman's voice from the inside said, wait just a minute, and uh, I'm coming. So as he stood there in the quiet of the day, uh, he could hear something being kind of drug across the floor, and then the door opened, and there was this little old lady in her, well into her 80s, with what do you call it, a pillbox hat and a print dress, all dressed up, and he could see that she had drugged this little nylon suitcase across the floor back before they had wheels. And as he looked into the room, there were sheets laying over the furniture, and there were some cardboard boxes with items in it, and it looked like no one really lived there. Nothing was on the walls anymore. And so he uh, greeted the woman, and she said, could you take the suitcase to the car? And so he did. He said, wait here, I'll come back for you. He came back and got her, and she walked on his arm down, put her in the back of the taxi, and asked for the address. And as uh, she gave him the address, he started off, and she said, by the way, I would like for you to drive through downtown. 
And he said, oh, he said, ma'am, that's going to run up your fare because that's not the most direct way to go. And she said, oh, that's all right. I just want to go downtown one more time. And so he started downtown and he um, asked her, you know, about where she was going. And she explained, well, I'm going to a convalescent home. I was at the doctor recently and he said, I really don't have much time left. And so I'm going there to go into hospice and I, I don't have any family. So I called you to come and take me to the convalescent center cab driver in in the article he had written said, at that point, I reached up and turned off the meter and drove downtown, and uh, she had me stop beside one of the big buildings, and she said, I worked there, and she told him the number of years. She was the elevator operator in that building. Then they drove to another place where some of her friends had worked, and to another place where she often had lunch, and he just drove around the city for about two hours, and finally she said, you know, I'm getting tired. I think it's time to go, and so he drove to the convalescent center, and some orderlies came out, and they were prepared to receive her, and he uh, turned her over to them and drove away. And he said, you know, all day long I kept thinking about uh, this woman who had no one and was going there to that convalescent center, her last stop in this life. And I thought to myself, what would have happened if some angry, mean old cab driver had driven up? Or what would have happened if some guy had you know, driven her all over the city and had this huge bill at the end of the ride? And he said, the conclusion of this cab driver was, you know, nobody is ever going to know me. I'm not going to make headlines anywhere. I'm not going to do any great thing. But at least at this moment, I had the opportunity to uh, be of some value, some help to this woman. Now, I conclude with that because it's just a simple example of a generous life. You know, we, we can give a smile to someone. Generosity is not just about money. That's a huge part of it, but there's so much more. It's the way we think about people. It's the way we treat people. It's the assumptions we make about people. Why can't we just stop the judging and say, well, I don't know why they did that, but give them the benefit of the doubt and live generously. That's part of a generous lifestyle, isn't it? And I want to encourage you this morning to live generously. Would you stand with me? We're going to put a prayer on the screen. I'd like for us to read it together. You have it with you. You can take it home and pray it again. As we conclude today... Uh, My challenge is to live a generous life, and if you'd like to ask God's help, that's what this prayer is about. Shall we pray? Dear God, you have been generous with us. We know we enjoy your love. We receive your forgiveness from you and new life in Jesus. We know that everything we have comes from you, and our very lives depend on you. Help me to become more like you. Help me to grow in generosity to build this community and strengthen my faith. I want to break greed's grip and grow in generosity. Lord, I express my thanks to you this Thanksgiving season through giving. Like Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. In Jesus' name, amen.